0: Well, I'm so happy to be back, and um, it's been a fun day. God is good, really. I mean, He really is. He, is. he is so, so, so tender and attentive to our needs. And my hope is that each one of you wouldn't just come and receive everything that Um, that you've gotten from the conference as a collective whole, but that you would intentionally, after this conference, reflect on what is the one thing that God really wants me to take away from this conference. And implement in my life so I will be different because I came to this conference because of this very specific thing so I just want to challenge you I'm challenging myself with that too as I leave this conference today what is one thing because I'm convinced if we just make one small step toward growing closer to God one small step toward implementing his word in a more authentic and true way into our lives or one small step of an action item that he's revealed to us that was meant for us personally today, I'm convinced just one little step toward becoming more of the woman that God has created you to be can start a transformation in your life that a year from now could make you radically, radically different. So, what's your one thing? I just want to challenge you with that. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. In this session. So remember where we were last session? And there's no shame in going to the table of contents. So we were in 1 Samuel last time. And just flip over a few right hand turns. We're going to be in 2nd Samuel chapter 20. 2nd Samuel chapter 20, if you want to find your way there. And I want to open us up by um, just dedicating this time to the Lord again. Lord, thank you so much for this very special day that you have arranged all of eternity to make sure that we are here today to receive your truth, to receive your encouragement, to receive your inspiration. But most of all, Lord, we cry out right now, not just for inspiration and information, although we've gotten some wonderful teaching today, but Lord, we want transformation. We want to change we want people, when they interact with us, to say, wow, wow, what is changing about you? And so, Lord, we give you just an open door to our hearts, our minds, our actions, our attitudes, because we, we desperately want you to change us, transform us into who you really designed us to be. In your holy name we pray and we dedicate this time. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 20 is also found in this whole section of the Bible that's talking about King David. Now, at this point, when we come across David, the same David that we talked about in the last story, but at this point, when we find King David, he has been anointed to be the future king. But by this point, he has actually been appointed to take the throne. So he is the current king. But even though he's the current king, and you would think that that means that his circumstances would now all line up and march in an obedient way single file line. That's not really true of David's circumstances. Even though he's finally gotten to this place that God has positioned him, he's walking in his destiny, but things are still complicated for him because that's just the way it is when we live in a broken world. Broken things are going to happen to us. And when we find David in this story, we find the hardship of his life that he's just been through is that his son Absalom betrayed him, turned his back on his father, and tried to take over David's kingdom. So David has known great heartache because not only has he been betrayed by his son, but he's also been rejected by his people. And so he got through that incident, but In the process, Absalom lost his life. And so David, the heart of a father tucked inside of David, was deeply grieved. Though he was hurt by his son, he was devastated by the loss of his son. So David has just been through that. Now we find him in 2 Samuel chapter 20. A new troublemaker is on the scene. It says in verse 1, Now a troublemaker named Sheba son of Bikri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, we have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. Every man to his tent, O Israel. Verse two, so all the men of Israel, all the men of this country that God has established David to be the king over, all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bikri, the troublemaker. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. Verse six, David says to one of his commanders, now Sheba, son of Bichri, will do us more harm than even my son Absalom did. So take your master's men and pursue him or he will find fortified cities and escape from us. David knows something about troublemakers. David knows that this troublemaker will not only cause trouble for David himself, but this troublemaker will cause trouble for whatever city the troublemaker goes and hides in. Because if the troublemaker causes trouble in their current location, unless they experience a total transformation, a troublemaker will cause trouble in their eventual destination. Because that's what troublemakers do. Trouble follows them because they carry it with them. So David is not just trying to protect himself, he's also trying to protect the people in the kingdom that he knows will be affected by this troublemaker. So he sends his men and says, go find the troublemaker in whatever city this troublemaker is hiding out in. Skip all the way to verse 15 and it says this, all the troops with Joab, one of David's commanders, came and besieged Sheba, the troublemaker. In a city called Abel Beth Mayaka. They built a siege ramp up to the city and stood it against the outer fortifications while they were battering the wall to bring it down. Oh, I wish I had an organ. Dun dun dun. Y'all will just have to deal with me. Um, they play the organ at my church, like in pivotal moments during the pastor's message. So it's just like so in my brain, I cannot escape it. Okay. Y'all, you're gonna hear that organ, I promise you. It's just gonna be happening. You're gonna be talking to your kids, and the pastor said, dun, dun, dun. you know, it's gonna be awesome. You can thank me later. Okay, so while they were battering the wall to bring it down, a wise woman comes on the scene. Now, for all of you note takers, we have come apart the part of our presentation, come among the part of our presentation where I give you the title of the message One Wise Woman. Yes, and you're going to be really excited because this message, too, has three points, which I'm going to get to a lot quicker than I did the last message. And wait a minute now. (laughs) Somebody is getting testy up in here. And all the points begin with the same letter this time. See, note takers love this. It's three A's. Y'all are just going to be so excited, okay? So here we go. So this is what I love about scripture, because this is a story about David, but this is what you would call a connector story. So a lot of people, get to this part where they're talking about David and the hardship he's gone through in his leadership. But all of a sudden we get to a part that doesn't really involve David at all. It involves a woman. And I had read this chapter so many times in the Bible and I had missed the richness of this little story tucked in a few little verses hidden here in second Samuel chapter 20, where David's not even a main character of this part of the story. And it's about a woman. So I thought, perfect, let's investigate her today because we're women and we're passionate about being wise. Amen. Amen. Okay. So verse 13, 15, all the troops of Joah came and besieged Sheba the troublemaker and Abel Beth Meaka. They built a siege ramp up to the city, stood it against the outer fortifications. And while they were battering the wall, a wise woman called from the city. Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so I can speak to him. He went toward her and she asked, are you Joab? I am, he answered. She said, listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. Now this is amazing because this town has come under attack. So imagine that we're a town today, okay, that we're just here and we're all gathered together. And suddenly this building comes under attack. Now, when the building comes under attack, you are going to need to choose somebody to go and address the situation, somebody to go and go toward the point of danger, somebody to go and help save us from these people attacking us. So we all look around and we're trying to figure out who is it that's going to save our city that's under attack. Now, call me crazy, but you have two choices, okay? You have a person right here who has muscles and weapons and fighting skills. That's this person. Okay? Then you have choice number two. This person has no muscles, no fighting skills, no weapons. Are you going to choose number one or number two? Number one, right? And I just have a hard time believing that this woman who's in the middle of her day. I, I picture her getting up, she's like gotten her kids ready for school, now she's met her friends at Starbucks and she's hanging out, she's got a latte and, uh, and you know, they've pulled up the Pinterest and so now they're just like going through and talking about how creative and amazing everything is and then they go to the Pinterest fail site because they relate to that so much more, right? So they're just hanging out Talking about all their stuff and all of a sudden the city comes under attack and she says y'all hold on I'll be right back. I got to go save our city now. I just find this I Just find this amazing That of all the people in that city that it was this woman who goes to the point of attack to address the situation And because I find it so unusual, I want to at least, if she doesn't have muscles and weapons and, you know, and and fighting skills, I at least want to give her a little attitude. So I want to read her in this way. When it says that the wise woman went to the part of the wall where they're being attacked and she starts speaking, I want her to have a Z-formation attitude. Do you know what I'm saying? So I want her to say this, listen, listen, tell Joad to come here so I can speak to him, right? But you see, I know that that's not at all the way that she talked. How do I know that? I'm so glad you ask because... It says in the very next section here that the man went toward her and that he listened to her. No man is going to go toward or listen to a woman with a Z-formation attitude. Can I get an amen? Yeah, so we always have to keep reality of our interpretation tucked in the context of scripture We have to pay attention this man went toward her and he listened to her So I know she didn't have a Z formation attitude, right? I know also that she didn't say when Joab came toward her like looking at her friend who she brought along to hold her Starbucks because you know she's not gonna waste that once she finishes addressing this situation but I know she does not look at her friend and say, hold my earrings for real, right? She does not say that. She goes up to this woman. There are two friends that are having a moment right here. Do y'all need to share? This is amazing. Something about that. Have you asked her to hold your earrings before? (laughs) Y'all, if you get into a traffic situation, make sure it's not with these two right here. Because one of them is holding one of them's earrings. I'm just, I'm giving you the warning, right? (laughs) No, but for real, she is not having that kind of attitude. And I know that she's not. Because listen to the words that she says in scripture. It says in verse 17, he went toward her and she asked, are you Joab? I am, he answered. She said, listen to what your servant has to say. And then he says... I'm listening. Do you remember what we talked about in the last session about humility? I have to revisit it because I see it again in this woman that is singled out in Scripture. We don't know a lot about this woman. We don't know her age. We don't know her stage of life. We don't know if she has kids or if she doesn't have kids. We don't know if she drinks coffee, she doesn't drink coffee. We, we really don't know. We don't know a lot about her. But we know that Scripture has included her in God's holy word and has identified her as one wise woman. And one of the first things we see her doing is humbling herself, and then they listen to her. I just think that this is a beautiful pattern to uncover in Scripture. So the first thing that we learn from this woman, the first A, is we learn from her approach We learn from her approach. She approaches this situation with humility, not with her right to be right, not making sure that her position is respected, not making sure that she has the loudest voice at the table. No, she makes sure that she has the approach of humility because she understands humility opens the door of opportunity for other people to listen and if we want people to listen, if we want to be women who are known for our wisdom, we must watch our approach and make our approach humble. Now, I must say something about humility. Humility is never bought at a cheap price. Humility is expensive. It will cost us emotionally. It will cost us our pride. At times, it will cost us that feeling of proving how very right we are. It will cost us the desire to say words that we have no business saying. But sometimes, it's in the words we choose not to say that we display our greatest wisdom. Humility is not bought at a cheap price. It will always cost us something. But what it will cost us is something we should let go of anyways. I have been in this season, like I said before, of, um, of learning humility. And um, I think one of the things that ushered me into a spot of understanding my desperate need for humility was having children. When I had my first daughter, she came out in the delivery room barking orders and smoking a cigar. And um, (laughs) this was my first one. Now I remember my second one was the one that looked at me and said, oh, I can take her. So that was my second one. But my first one was a situation too, because it has always been beneath her to be a child. She has always thought she is way more responsible than me. She has always thought she's way more organized than me. And honestly, I think she secretly thinks that God sent her here to mother me, not the other way around. (laughs) So she came out in the delivery room, barking orders and smoking a cigar, and she blessed us, she really did, but she blessed us to our full blessing capacity. We were so blessed by child number one that we went to the doctor after six months and we said, she is an amazing blessing, but she has been such a big blessing. We have decided we only have room for one of these blessings. And so we, we, we are going to be a one-blessing family. And, um, and the doctor said that he could help us, but that he first had to give me a pregnancy test. And he came back and he said, wow, actually, you are already pregnant with number two. To which I replied, no, I'm not. And he said back to me, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And I said, I'm going to the Walmart for a second opinion. And so a few, months, a few months later, we did have blessing number two. And then a few years after that, we had blessing number three. And I finally figured out how all that was happening. And so I sent my husband to a special doctor with special scissors. And, and we were very blessed. And, um, and then a few years after that, I took my little girls, they were nine, eight, and four. I took them to a concert where these boys were singing that were from Liberia. I thought Liberia was in South America because it sounded like all the words that I learned when I was taking Spanish ended in ia, and so I just knew it was in South America, but... um, my oldest daughter, who mothers me, pulled out a map and said, Mom, I believe it is a country in on the west coast of Africa over here. And I was like, I know. I was just making sure you are paying attention, girlfriend. <laughs> so we went to this concert, and we met these 12 beautiful boys from the other side of the world, and we learned about their story, and God moved in, in our hearts to make these boys part of our forever family. So... Before too long, suddenly me, the woman who thought I could only handle one child and barely handle her, suddenly I woke up one day and I had five children. And, um, and I remember thinking when we brought our boys home, this is going to be fine. Like this is going to work out just fine because I will have a plan. This is, this is I'm going to survive this. So what I will do is I will get them ready every morning. And then I will put them on this amazing gift from heaven called a school bus. <laughs> and and I, will, I will put them on the school bus. And then I will go back in my house and I will collect all the little pieces of my sanity that my people have dismantled. And then they will deliver them back to me like at 3.30 in the afternoon. And I will educate my people that no matter how old you are, and my boys were 13 and 14 at the time that we adopted them. So we had 14, 13, 9, 8, and like four and a half. So I said, okay, in our home, no matter how old you are, in the afternoon, you take a nap. And so I will put them all down for like a two-hour nap. And and they will sleep and they will be happy. Who doesn't like a nap, right? And so they will be so happy. And so I will fix food for these people. And then when they wake up, I will feed them. And then we will have this wonderful little family time, you know, where we just all remind each other how much we love one another around the dinner table. And maybe we could even do family devotions. I mean, yes, that is exactly how it's all going to work out. And then they're going to feel so sleepy after all that. And then... By like 7.30, they're all going to go to bed. So, hello, why do people think this is so hard? We can do this, okay? The problem was when we had our boys academically tested to see what grade they needed to be in, the test came back that they needed to be in kindergarten. And there were no classes, there were no kindergarten classes that would take boys ages 13 and 14. So, we had no choice but to, wait for it, <laughs> homeschool. Now here's the deal. I see some of you on the internet and you are amazing. Like you wield a glue gun, like nobody's business, you know? And it's like, you wake up one morning, you think let's make the, 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 the ship that Christopher Columbus came over, let's make all three of them, right? And, and, and you do, so you whip out your glue gun and your popsicle sticks and your pipe cleaners and your leftover felt, and oh yes, let's go get a quilting needle just to make sure that it just, the sails look authentic. And, and you do, and you make these things that are like the glory of the internet. And then people like me look at things like that and think to ourselves, I can do that. But when I attempt it, it is such an epic fail. that that it is very dangerous for people like me to believe that I can be crafty like you. Some of us did not get the 3C gene, crafting, cleaning, and cooking. Some of us missed it, okay? Some of you have it, and I am so thankful you do. But some of us missed it. I missed it. So I remember the first day that I gathered my people up to homeschool, And I sat down at the table because it was gonna be too hard to send the girls off to school and keep up with lost library books and all that stuff and permission slips. So we just brought them all five home. And I remember I showed up at the kitchen table and I looked around at all five of these people looking at me expecting an education. And I started thinking to myself, how is this gonna work? Like I am not a teacher, I'm not patient, I'm not even nice most days, like I don't know. (laughs) I don't, I don't think this is going to work very well. So I passed out coloring sheets because all teachers know the blessing of the coloring sheet, right? And I excused myself and I went into my closet and this was before War Room. Like I was doing War Room before War Room was a movie, but I went in my closet and I knelt down and I just started crying out to God and I just said, God, I know that you have never made a mistake in the history of the universe, but I think calling a woman like me to a job like this, this is your first mistake. I mean, for real. (laughs) Like, I don't think I can do this. Matter of fact, I know I can't do this. And so I started asking God, I was like, hey, God, this is the thing. Like if you would just appear in my closet and talk to me and write out a very specific plan of how this is supposed to work. I know that's not biblical, because I'm not supposed to look on you until I get to the other side of glory. I understand that, but, but God, I'll keep it a secret. I won't tell a soul. <laughs> like, for real, no, for real. Like, I really need you in person, God. Like, I need to see you, and we need to have a conversation right now. And God didn't appear to me in that way, and I didn't hear his voice audibly. But I did feel this question pressing into my heart. Lisa, do you have faith? And I remember thinking, yes, you know I have faith. And then I felt like the Lord spoke straight to the deepest part of my insecure heart. And the Lord said, then Lisa, I want to teach you how to live a life that actually requires faith. Because I am so good at taking my life and arranging all the details to where I really don't need faith at all. Like, I will stand in church and sing all the songs about I love you, Lord, and I trust you with everything. And then I will go home and I will arrange my little life like this, and I will say, God... Here's the deal. Like I got it all covered. I just, if you could just bless this, don't mess with it. Just bless this, like, like for real. You've got big things to do, and like, so if you could just bless my arrangement here, and 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 I want I want to dictate like how my kids should go, and I, I want to dictate how my husband should act, and the flowers he should be bringing me, and the poems he should be writing me, right? And and. And I just, I just wanna keep it all under my control because if I'm real honest, that feels a lot safer than walking by faith. But God has, had really been teaching me, Lisa, that's, that's not my best for you because that's not depending on me. And so what God taught me is that I was gonna have to walk out to that kitchen table, that sticky farm table where those five kids were seated. And every day, I would have to bring a little bit of my willingness. And if I would just show up every day and bring my little tiny bit of willingness, God would meet me there. And if I would do what he enabled me to do in my natural, he would bring his super and then it would become supernatural. I didn't have to bring all the answers. I didn't have to bring all the solutions. I didn't have to be the most amazing teacher. I didn't have to have the best strategy for getting these boys who were so far behind in school and my girls who had their own set of issues with trying to learn to read and all that stuff. I didn't have to fix this. I just needed to walk in obedience to God and verbalize with my mouth and believe in my heart that I can trust God because God is trustworthy. And if I would do that, and if I would just show up every day, I didn't need to be perfect, I didn't need to have all the answers, but if I would just show up and acknowledge, God, you are here. And so I am gonna bring my little bit of willingness, and I'm gonna trust that you're gonna meet me right here. And God did just that. I don't know if any of you have walked in today and you have felt like your situation is quite impossible, but can I share something with you about the word impossible? The word impossible, if you look at it just as one word, it absolutely spells impossible. But if you take the word and you break it apart, you find inside of it, I'm possible. Because God can meet us at our point of need and provide every possibility in the midst of what the world says is impossibility. And God loves to show up in situations like that. But we will never discover it if our approach isn't with humility. Because not only does humility open up the door of opportunity for the other person to listen, humility opens up the door of opportunity so that we can listen and actually hear from the Lord. That's what humility does. And that's why our approach to every situation has got to be with humility. It's just gotta be. And with absolute trust that this looks impossible But with God, all things are possible. And I'm going to say with my mouth and believe in my heart that I can trust God. I will trust God. And my job is just to be obedient to God. If I'm struggling in my finances, then I'm going to look up ten verses about finances and how to do it God's way. And I'm gonna write those finances down and I may not do everything perfectly, but I'm gonna keep those front and center because my job is to be obedient to God. It's God's job to fix my finances, but he's expecting me. He has given me his wisdom. And if I wanna be a woman of wisdom, I've gotta be a woman of God's word. So I'm gonna get God's word into me so it can be lived out through me. And in that process, God will fix the issues that are in our lives, but it's not so that it makes us less dependent on him. It's so that it makes us more dependent on him because in humility, we start to listen for his voice and we start to understand even if we could control all of our circumstances and we can't, but even if we could, we still wouldn't be able to do it as well as God. So her approach in this situation, she comes up to this man who is attacking her city and in humility, she says to him, listen, listen here so I can speak. And he does. He listens to her and he goes toward her. And the next thing she does in verse 18, she continues, long ago, they used to say, get your answer at Abel. And that settled it. Verse 19, we are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You are trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do you wanna swallow up the Lord's inheritance? Lesson number two, we've learned from her approach. Now we're going to learn from her assurance. We learn from her assurance. She's standing there in the middle of her city being attacked and she is saying, we are the peaceful and city We are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. She isn't saying we used to be the peaceful and the faithful city in Israel, or one day we will be when we're no longer under attack, we will be the peaceful and faithful. She's standing there declaring the truth of who God says that that city is. And God has established that that city is peaceful and faithful. So she has a different kind of assurance. I wonder what would happen if we did the very same thing. If we stood in the midst of our uncertain circumstances and proclaimed the certainty that God loves us and he wants the very best for us. And if we stood in the midst of uncertain circumstances but proclaimed the certainty of our assurance that we are holy and dearly loved children of the almighty God, I wonder how much that would help us face our circumstances with a lot more assurance. So after two years of homeschooling our children, we had our boys tested. And I have to tell you that I was so nervous about them taking this test because I never did become a phenomenal teacher. I mean, as a matter of fact, one day we, we were trying to do flashcards. I don't know if y'all have ever sat for hours doing flashcards. And I'm so sorry if you invented the flashcard. But after hours of it, I felt like flashcards were from the devil. I just did. And so I had it. I, I couldn't do another second of flashcards. So I put my kids in the van and I said, we are going to drive around. And you people look at the speed limit signs. Add up the numbers on the speed limit signs. And that's math, people. That's all I got. So I cannot tell you that I ever became this amazing teacher. God did challenge me to become more patient and more nice through the process. But after two years, we had our boys tested. And when we got those test results back, I sat down and I wept because the test results showed that my boys could get into middle school. They had progressed from kindergarten to middle school in two short years with me, y'all, for real. Cause that's how great our God is and so y'all should have seen me the day that the yellow school bus pulled up to my house <laughs> and I looked at my kids I'm like shimmy shimmy <laughs> and I did the MC hammer dance around my kitchen it was amazing and then by the time my son Jackson was 21 years old he was finally ready to graduate high school and I remember he had applied to a college that he really wanted to go to, but he got declined. And um, it was really hard. And I remember one day he was in the kitchen and he was just just going on and on and on about, Mom, you know, I have a 2.79 grade point average. I did the very best that I could. And, you know, I'm not going to be able to get into this college. And I really felt like that's where I was supposed to go. But with a 2.79 grade point average, they're not going to let me in and I don't know what to do. And I remember looking at him And I remember saying, wait a minute, Jackson, you started kindergarten at age 14 and you have graduated high school. I mean, you are about to graduate at the age of 21. In seven short years, you have gone from kindergarten through your senior year. I think a 2.79 grade point average is pretty amazing. But let me ask you something, son. You mean to tell me, that the God of the universe who all those years ago hand plucked you out of that third world country orphanage and worked all the miracles necessary to get you over here to America to put you in a family with an amazing dad and one crazy mama who then had to homeschool you. Can we just pause and say, who had to homeschool you for two years, and then you got into school, and then you progressed, you think that the God who did all of that suddenly now is like, oh no, how did this slip through? The boy has a 2.79 grade point average. His whole destiny is shot. (laughs) Like, do you really, really think that that's the way God operates? No, son, you have a different kind of assurance. You just do. So you need to trace God's hand of faithfulness. You need to go back to the last time that you remember that God was very faithful. And honestly, it should be this morning when you woke up breathing. Because just the fact that you woke up breathing this morning is such rich evidence of God's extreme faithfulness, right? So when we go back and we start tracing and naming the places where God's hand of faithfulness has been so evident in our life, we have a different kind of assurance. So I gave him that little sermonette in the kitchen and, and he just loved it. I mean, my kids love it when I, like, just start preaching to him. You can imagine, right? And so a few days later, we get this invitation in the mail inviting us to the high award honor ceremony. Well, I was so confused because usually kids with a 2.79 grade point average, I mean, unless it was a bad year for the honor students, you don't <laughs> get invited to the high award honor ceremony, Right? But I looked at the bottom of the invitation. This amazing restaurant was catering it. So I was like, oh, we're going. (laughs) And so we went and we sat in the back and we watched all the kids, all the well-deserved kids get all these amazing awards, high honors in math and history and English and chemistry and all, all of these amazing awards. And Jackson's name wasn't called. Until the very end, the principal stood up and he said, we have one last award to be given. It's the award that the faculty votes on to give the student, one student, the highest honor. It's called the Administrator's Excelsior Award. And this year, we decided to give it to the student who has displayed rich character in the face of great odds. Jackson Turkhurst, you are this year's recipient. And I remember watching as my was walking up to the front and I was so amazed. And then all of a sudden, something came over me, and I wanted to stand up and go, do you people know what I had to do to help him? I mean, for real, I need a plaque of some sort, you know? But I had spent a little bit of time with Jesus that day. So he reined me in. But you better believe, the very next day, I took that award, I copied it, I wrote a letter, resubmitted his transcript, resubmitted his application, and he got into that college. Praise God. We have a different kind of assurance. Now, I would love to just tie the story up there and go, yay. But the problem is, is that little did I know I was going to have to preach that message to myself because I took my son to college and I had, I had set aside like six hours to help him move in because I was gonna help him move in and get his bed cover all straight and then we could go to Target and get matching curtains and a little rug and all that. And then I quickly, when we got there, he's like, yeah, mom, I'm not really into all that. So it took me like three minutes to move him in for real. So we had all this extra time. So I, I decided, I was like, okay, We're gonna make use of this time and we are going to walk around and we are going to do a prayer walk. That's what we're gonna do, it's gonna be amazing. And so we started walking around and I started praying, just laying a pathway of prayer all over his room, down the hall, the student center, the cafeteria, the classrooms. Then we got to the girls dorm. (laughs) And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Then we got to the parking lot, and I looked at my son, and I said to him, son, remember who you are. You are a Turkhurst, and a good name is better than all the riches in all the world. But even more than that, remember you are a child of God, and God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. So you walk in step with the Lord, and he's going to take you to amazing places. Just trust him and be obedient to him. Remember who you are, Jackson. I hugged him and I kissed him and I got in my car and I drove away. And he did just that. He did remember who he was for three whole weeks. (laughs) And then he'd only been at school for about three weeks and I got a call no mama ever wants to get from the dean of the school saying Jackson had gotten caught doing something that a lot of college kids do. But he has a mama that prays that he will get caught, so he did. And um, and the dean of the school explained to me that it was their policy that he would be suspended for a year. And I'm telling you, it sent me to bed. You know, isn't that what makes life so crazy? Like, you you have a son who wins the highest award at his school for the rich character that he displayed, and then, you know, he goes off to college and he makes a mistake that he his heart needed to be shepherded in that mistake. But as a mama, it just, somehow I have this thing where, I want to draw a straight line from my child's mistake to some kind of weakness that I have in mothering. And it'll just send you you to bed. It just will. And so I had preached this great sermon to my son. We have a different kind of assurance. But the minute that life falls down on top of me, I forget that whole thing. And I go and I crawl in bed and I cry until I feel like I can't cry anymore. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes and says, Lisa... Remember those words that I gave you to give your son? Well, I need you to go find those words and give them back to yourself. You have a different kind of assurance. And that's a wrong line to draw from your child's mistake to some sort of weakness that you have in mothering. Maybe it's a call to action that some things need to change. And maybe it's a situation where you need to reevaluate a few things. But you do not need to draw the defeating line from your child's mistake to some sort of weakness that you have in mothering. Because before the universe was ever formed, I handpicked you to be this boy's mama Whether you gave birth or whether you adopted or whether you are the aunt that just influences or a neighbor that has kids living across the street, God has positioned you to be an inspiration to that child. He has positioned you to help navigate that child. And God chose you to be in a position of influence over this child, not because of your weaknesses, but because God was going to entrust you with certain strengths that would make you a perfect fit to help that child navigate his issues. And so as God scanned the whole earth, looking for what mama is strong enough to bend without breaking when this boy's issue arises and what mama is gonna pray, not just about this issue, but pray all the way through this issue and what mama will be courageous enough to look at this child and say, you made a mistake, but by God, you are not a mistake. What mama will spit in the face of Satan and say, you have messed with the wrong family this time. I need to be drawn straight lines from that child's mistake to a strength that God has entrusted to me because he has positioned me to be an influence over this child, over that person, over that person, over that person. So we need to rise up. And we need to remember we have a different kind of assurance. We can stand in the middle of a city that's under attack or a child that's under attack or a family that's under attack or finances that are under under attack. And we can say we are holy and dearly loved children of the almighty God and circumstances do not change that because I have a different kind of assurance. That's what this woman modeled here. We see wisdom in her approach. We see wisdom in her assurance. Now, the end of the story, it gets a little messy, but I want you to understand that in the context of this day, what this woman does is completely appropriate, though it is shocking. It is not wisdom in our day. It was wisdom in her day. Okay, so here we go. Joab replies back to the woman in verse 20 far be it for me far be it for me to swallow up or destroy. that is not the case a man named Sheba son of bickery from the hill country of Ephraim has lifted up his hand against the king against David hand over this one man he says and I'll withdraw from the city so he instructs her to just hand over the one man the woman says back to Joab his head will be thrown to you from the wall oh my okay But I want you to all understand that, see, in this day, because I know that the Bible has called this woman wise, this was a wise thing to do. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to like it. But here's what I know. This woman had been living such a pattern of wisdom that she was the one who knew exactly what had to be done to save her city. Verse 22, then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off the head of Sheba, son of threw through its job. Okay, I want you to raise one of your hands, okay? I am not, repeat after me, I am not learning not that I should go to my troublemakers and throw their head over the city wall. Okay, perfect. Because that's not what we're learning here. What we are learning, and the third thing that we find out from this woman, we have learned from her approach, we have learned from her assurance. Now we're gonna learn from her advice. You see, she went to the townspeople with very hard advice. And the townspeople did not have time to gather up and have like a community vote and a big discussion to decide if this woman is crazy or if she's wise or anything like that. No, it says she went to the people and they immediately listened to her. And because they listened to her, her actions saved their city. But the reason they knew that they could listen to her is because this woman had been establishing a pattern of wisdom. Her advice is what we learn from. Her advice was wise because she'd been establishing a pattern of wisdom in the daily routines of her life. She established wisdom with the words she would say and the words she wouldn't say day after day after day. She established a pattern of wisdom in the things she would do and the things she wouldn't do day after day after day. She established a pattern of wisdom in the places she would go and the places she would not go day after day after day. She tucked wisdom into the sacred spaces of the rhythms and routines of her life. Therefore, wisdom became her pattern and wisdom became her legacy. In her approach, in her assurance, in her advice, she was one wise woman and she saved her city. And God made sure that her story was recorded for us to read thousands of years later. Wisdom. I know you may be sitting here and you may think, Lisa, that's awesome for that woman. But you don't know how many mistakes I've made. So I don't feel like a very wise woman. Or Lisa, you don't know how many people have told me that I'm dumb, that I'm stupid, that I'm not capable. So I hardly think, Lisa, that I'm a woman of wisdom. Or Lisa, you don't know. People look at me and they just think, foolishness. How can I be a woman of wisdom? Or Lisa... You were talking about earlier how much you love to read the Bible. I couldn't even find my Bible today. I couldn't even find it because, Lisa, my life is such a disaster. I honestly don't know the last time I even read it. How can I possibly be a woman of wisdom? Well, I'm here to say today that God doesn't look at the chaos of your life and see a hopeless case. God doesn't look at the mistakes of your past and see a hopeless case. God doesn't look at what grades you got in school and sees a hopeless case. God looks at you and sees the potential by which he created you. And you know, when God was forming The people that are here in this room, when God was forming you, the very thought of you made him explode with a love so deep and so great that he made sure that he wove into the DNA of your being a woman with all possibility, a woman with all hope, a woman with a great destiny, a woman with a purpose. He made sure that you were here today so that you can know God has a plan for you. I want to invite the musicians back up because I just want to take a second, and I just want to have just a few minutes where we go before the Lord before we go back into the chaos of of our everyday lives. Because here's the reality. Your house is probably not going to be cleaner right now, you know, like, when you go home than when you left it this morning. Like your kids are not gonna suddenly be more behaved than when you left them this morning. The the circumstances that you left are still very much gonna be there when you get back. But while I cannot change your circumstances, those sisters, boy, do I wish I could. I wish I could swoop into your life and fix things and make them just amazingly wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> but I can't do that. But here's the reality. Even though our circumstances will not have changed, our approach can change. Our assurance in the midst of those circumstances can change. Our wise advice, as we look at those circumstances, they can, that can change. Like our circumstances will not have changed because we're here. But if we change, if we change, then we can look at our circumstances in a totally different light. And we can start some new routines, a new rhythm of joy and of peace and of love and forgiveness and grace and wisdom. We can start that in our life, but it won't happen unless we just pause and we spend a few minutes asking God to really speak to us personally and intimately. You see many years ago when I started in ministry, I had a religion, but I did not have a relationship with God. I knew how to follow the rules, but my heart felt so far from God. And so I would come to conferences like this and I would sit there and I would listen to the speaker and I would write down a few points, but inside my head, eventually I would start to just go blah, 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 blah. This is for the perfect people and I am so not in that category. So yeah, maybe this will make me a little more happy today, but this stuff, it just doesn't work for me. But the reason is because rules can't ever change you but a relationship with God can. And many of you maybe have been going to church for a really long time, and you've been wondering, like, what is the deal here? Like, I get up in the morning, and, you know, I... I try to be nice, I read a few verses, I listen to Christian music, I go to church on Sunday, I don't cuss, I, you know, I, don't, I don't even honk at people in traffic, but my heart just feels so far from God. I feel like I'm just doing all the stuff, but, but I don't feel like I'm in a relationship with God. And if that's you, I want you to pause right now as we have our prayer time. And I want you to just verbalize that to God and say, God, I want something new. I want something fresh. I want a relationship with you, a relationship like we haven't had in a long time. I love you, God. And I want to operate in your love. And I want to have what Lisa was talking about. I want to have a different kind of assurance in my life. I want to know that I'm a holy and dearly loved child of God. And I want to operate in your strength and in your power. But, Lord, I need you to show me how. So maybe some of you need to make that decision today. Or maybe some of you were drug here by a friend, you know, and she's like, hey, we're going to go sing karaoke. And you got here and you're like, oh, that's weird. It's like everybody sings the same song and they put the words on the screen. So that is kind of like karaoke. But I don't know, like, what is all this teaching from the Bible? And, you know, she tricked you. She just did. And so then you're like looking around. But all of a sudden you've been listening to the messages and your heart starts beating fast and you think, Maybe that's what I'm missing. And maybe you've had this kind of wonky, negative view of religion, and I get it because, I mean, trust me, I'm a Christian, and I know sometimes that I get things wrong, and I'm sure people look at my life and they think, man, if you're a Christian, gosh, I don't want that. And I understand that. But the thing is, when you sign up to be a Christ follower, it's not because of people. People will always disappoint you. And so if you've had Christians in your life that have disappointed you, don't let that keep you from God. That's not God that you're disappointed in. You're disappointed in his disobedient children. But the reality is that you're not signing up to follow people. You're signing up to follow God. A God who loves you. A God who forgives you. A God who hand designed you with that part in your soul that has been crying out for something and you've been chasing stuff in this world and nothing can satisfy you because God saved that part of your soul for him. And the thing that you're desiring so much is for him to come and be with you and to be the Lord of your life and you'll never be satisfied without him. Trust me, I've tried. I have tried to fill that hole in my heart with everything but God. And I can tell you with all honesty, That nothing, nothing can fill that space, that deep hurt of longing. Nothing can fill that and satisfy that and quiet that. Only Jesus Christ. So as we have this prayer time, I don't know what decision you need to make with God. But here's what I do know. Every single one of us have a decision to make. Because we've got to do something with what Jesus has stirred in us today. And maybe to you, it's just a decision to that one thing that God taught you. Maybe it's that one thing that you just need to dedicate. Lord, this is going to change because I came here today and I sat under your teaching of your holy word. Or maybe for you, your heart has felt distant and you want a new kind of relationship with God. Or maybe for you, you want to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior for the very first time. But whatever decision you need to make, please don't leave here. Please don't leave here without acknowledging some decision before the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time that is set apart. Thank you for arranging all of eternity so that we could be here today. We are desperate for you. We need you. And so we bow before you now and we humble ourselves in this posture of prayer to say, Lord, this is what I'm deciding today. This is what I'm needing to change today. This is what I'm dedicating to you today. Lord, this is what I'm giving to you today. This is what I'm trusting you for today. And so right where you're at in the quietness of your heart, I just want you to say those personal prayers to God. After you go home tonight I want you to continue this prayer and I would even encourage you to write whatever you're praying right now I would encourage you to write it down and if you've sat here and you felt like you didn't have anything to pray then I want you to write that down as a prayer to the Lord and I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you exactly what you're supposed to dedicate to him or to give to him or to release to him and keep asking him until he reveals that to you. For those of you who are asking God for the very first time to be your personal Lord and Savior, I don't want to leave without leading you in a prayer that I just want you to repeat after me. And I want my Christian sisters in the room to join us in that. So if that's you and you want to give your heart to the Lord, I want you to say this prayer, but you won't be alone in saying it. Because everyone else that knows and loves Jesus, they're going to say this as an affirmation and a support. So just repeat after me. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I acknowledge Jesus Christ as God's holy son, sent to die on a cross and to rise again, to set me free from my life of sin heal me forgive me and receive me you are my lord I am your daughter I am saved today and forever God, I pray that you would protect my sisters. I pray that you would give them courage to tell one other person about the decision that they have made today. God I pray that you would seal this day in their memory, that you would seal this day in their heart, that you would seal this day in their soul as a day that they will never forget. For this is the day that they became a child of the Most High God, holy and set free from the life of sin. I pray that you would protect them from the evil one, that no deception would ever come against them. in this area that they will know that they are saved today and their eternity is secure forever and ever and ever thank you for being here with us today God we love you we love you we love you and we need you and all God's girls said amen Amen.
1: Can we all stand together? You know, one of the enemy's greatest weapons is isolation. Mm-hmm. Isolation. Trying to make us, trying to convince us that we're the only one, the only one that has walked through our situation. So many of you have stopped by and spoke and I remember a lady while ago speaking with me, she was so broken and she said, my life is so broken. I am so down and I don't know how to fix it. I wish I could fix it. My personality is I want to fix it, but you know what? There is only one person who can fix it only one person who can fix it and I'm just wondering why we're worshiping and in the standing in the presence of God if you would all bow your heads with me and close your eyes while nobody's looking around and all over the building if you would just be honest and be real with us and you would say you know what I have a situation A circumstance going on in my life right now I have done everything I know how to do I'm broken and I'm trying to keep it together but I need God to intervene in my situation I need God to step on the scene in my situation if you only knew what I was going through I wonder if you would be so bold, so brave as to just slip your hand up real quick and slip it down and say, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for my situation. I need you to pray for this hurt, this pain, this struggle. I don't understand what's going on in my marriage. I don't understand what's going on in my finances. I don't understand what's going on with this job situation with this prodigal child, with this health situation, with this battle with cancer. I don't understand. I don't know how to fix it. But I am telling you today that I'm willing to trust this God to step on the scene and help me. Now, I want you to take one more bold step. We want to pray for you. We have a prayer team up here that wants to pray on you, love on you, pray for your specific need, your specific situation. And, you know, we were talking about isolation, how the enemy wants to isolate you and tell you, you're the only one. You're the only one. Grab a hand of a friend you and that friend come to the front come on to the front now as they're praying and let's pray for these situations and ask god to intervene would you come quickly while they're playing while the prayer team is in place whatever situation somebody right now needs a miracle in your home with a child with a husband with a spouse you need a situation in your home come on to the front somebody is desperate for healing for restoration in your finances I want you to come to the front somebody right now under the sound of my voice the enemy has told you you're not pretty enough you're not smart enough you're not qualified you're you're just not going to make it somebody has tried to take your promise tried to steal your dream tried to steal your potential and the enemy has you held back in bondage just like I was in that food disorder you need to come to the front you need to come to the front somebody is bound in an addiction in an addiction and you've tried all you can it may be with painkillers or with something else you need to come to the front and let us love on you And pray for you in the name of Jesus will you just come and receive your healing and your restoration in the name of Jesus as they sing come on don't let the enemy tell you to stand back there's plenty of room come on up to the front let's come on close together you see a woman you see a woman struggling I know what helped for me was for somebody to take me by the hand Somebody to put their hand on my back and say, you are not alone. You are not alone. No matter what you see with the natural eye, it shall be well. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? It shall be well. Hallelujah. It shall be well. No matter how dark, how grim, it shall be well.
0: We've got a team of ladies down front here to pray with you. Beverly and Sherry will be down here and praying as well. We wanna thank you. Matt and the band are gonna
1: lead us through another round of a, a song here. I think you're gonna do forever. Amen, if you just wanna stay and worship the Lord Jesus Christ with us, you
0: are welcome to do that. If not, if you would like to leave, you are dismissed to do so, but we're gonna keep singing and worshiping and praying, and uh, you're welcome
1: to stay. Thank you so much for being here today. You're awesome.